0: So Ed and I went to get a cap for my truck, and then we visited Tony, and uh, yeah, some other guys, Jim and Bob. It was we had a really good time, just seeing, you know, Christ work through Tony, and just the work of Christ, and the boldness that we can all have in sharing the gospel with the lost. It it was, like, incredible. There was, like, 15 people that were saved. And then we went to um breakfast place and just had a really good time of fellowship and just seeing, like, a bunch of men just have a desire <laughs> to save the lost. Um, last week, I shared, I, I think, about my experience at Staples with this one guy. Mm-hmm and just how God's, like, really increasing my expectation of what he's doing here. You know, people say, oh, you know, you're having a baby, or Are you guys come to Texas, and, like, just that thought, like, is that what that means? And it's like, no. You know, God called us here very expectant on what the work of God is here. And for that to happen, he has to prepare us for that. And so um, 2 Timothy three sixteen says... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In one of the posts, it's, it says all scripture is given by inspiration and that's why it's profitable for us, for reproof, which is much needed for us all for correction, which is our constant need in our life, and for our constant need to be instructed in righteousness. That those who are truly men of God may be complete in Christ, thoroughly mature and ever ready for the good works of Christ's person and his accomplishments may be known and experienced. So through the word we get to be taught and we can experience Christ intimately and personally and then as a result others may know who he is through the word being experienced in our lives because you know evangelism or the thought of like hey let's go out and win souls like that's incredible but it's also uh, like it can happen anywhere you encounter people and it's the love of God that comes through you and touches lives and that's just like wow you know, we, we can all partake in, the, in that. And yeah, I was very built up so far, you know, just seeing Tony all the time, just seeing his, you know, his testimony and what Christ has done, and it's all Christ. Um, so we had a good time.
1: For God sent not his son into the world whew, to condemn a single soul. God. What an amazing message. Well, what a God. What a Savior. But separated from that condemnation that would be in his son who would replace it all. But that whole mass of humanity through him might be saved. He that believes on him. Oh, isn't this great? Is not condemned. That's Romans 8.1. That's who we are in him. Is not condemned. But he That believes not is condemned already. Did God condemn them? No. They are self-condemned through not believing. Because he has not believed in the name which has to do with the nature, character, and essence. With those attributes of the only uniquely one of a kind begotten Son of God. And this is then, he's going to say what the condemnation is and where it comes from. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, the mass of humanity, and men love darkness, rather than the light, because the deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, And neither will you and I when we when we approach him in the flesh. We, we we won't. Neither come to the light, lest his deed should be, what? Reproved. I thought it was interesting uh, what you shared, Jadiel, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, because that word reprove is amazing and what it means. All that, All the scripture of God is breathed out from his very nature. It's not separate from it and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be thoroughly furnished complete in every area Mm -hmm. unto his own good works that many would see it see that same light and be drawn but he that does truth and how do you do it but by simply receiving it's not works here at all comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Notice that? That's what God did. Now, John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter, and this is what it says. John 8. Verse 1, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple. That means this, honestly. If you read Proverbs eight seventeen. In Psalm 62, 1 and 2, when should we seek him? Early. When did they get the manna that came down when they left their tents? When was it? Early, first thing, principle, early. He went early in the morning to the temple, and all the people came unto him. We have that privilege right now. Isn't it awesome? And he sat down and taught them. He sat down. He sat down in the place that only he could for everybody. He sat down because it was finished. He was that, that that was finished, and he taught them. That's how he teaches us. He teaches us from a place of rest, a place of being more than a conqueror, Romans 8, verse 37, being in him. And the scribes and Pharisees picture him. Picture Christ in the middle. He's seated. And a bunch are around him, and they're receiving the word. You will see the picture of that, a beautiful picture. And what a picture that is. If you look and take your time and see it later if you want in Luke, the fourth chapter. What men went through to get one individual into his presence is amazing. But here we have the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Now I just want to say over a period of years, even from the 80s, I studied a lot of different uh, men that understood the Greek language and could interpret it, and some even actually believed they set her up. They knew she was an adulterer, but they set her up to do it just so they could use her to accuse Christ. (laughs) You talk about insanity, huh? Oh boy, phew taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they came right through. Here's a beautiful teaching. And they sat this woman down, and they said unto him, Teacher, Rabbi, this woman, interrupting him, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Well, how close did you get? We talk about a satanic setup. Just like he tries with us and temptations of every kind you can think of. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that, sh- that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, can you believe this? Tempting him. In my little Bible here, I didn't underline it in this one yet. Notice this, look. They said, tempting what? Him that they might have to accuse him. Listen, why does the enemy tempt those that are in Christ? Why? To accuse them. He will tell you, he will tell me you need this. You know it's sin, but you need it. Why? To accuse us. He hates. Listen, he doesn't hate. It's not so much an emphasis Emphasis in Galatians the 5th chapter in the 6th verse. It's neither circumcision that means what I should do or uncircumcision what I I don't do. But a faith, a dependence that expresses itself through being loved. Jeez, No wonder he said in 5.1 for freedom's sake Christ set you free. So be free. They tempted him that they might accuse him but Jesus, every word in the scripture is so incredible. But Jesus stooped down. Oh, how far did the Son of God come? How far did he stoop down? How low did he have to go for all of our sins? Boy, low. He stooped down. And with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Many believe Many believe that as he didn't answer, but many believe that he would look at the oldest one, the longest acting, fleshly, evil Pharisee, would start writing sins down that he wouldn't have told anybody. And he's writing them. Oh boy, he's writing them. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up so that they could see it. what he probably wrote about each of those individuals. And maybe he didn't. The fact is, though, can you imagine? There's God in humanity. They're accusing him. You know why? Because he loved sinners and he even loved them and even us (laughs) he lifted himself up notice that who does God lift up who should we lift up our flesh our failures our sins he lifted himself up he's the only one that had that power in John 10 17 and 18 He lifted himself up and said unto them, And can you imagine the look I did this morning? I did. And boy, I said, Oh, God forbid ever a condemning word should ever come out of this mouth ever again. Ever. Can you imagine the love? pouring out of him as he's looking at them, making eye contact with them. With this intense love, but at the same time, his justice and wrath towards sin. Can you imagine the look? Worst kind of pride, I think, the, the greatest, most evil, Manifestation of pride is a religious pride, by the way. Many have said that before. And he looked straight at them and he said, He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. Go ahead. Now, you know the stone. What did Moses do? In Exodus, the 31st and 32nd chapter, he went up to the mount Right? And with the finger. Notice that? Finger. The finger of God. If God writes anything, it's with the finger of Christ. But with the finger of God, he wrote on those two tablets of what? Stone. <laughs> Jeez. Well, let you first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, listen to this one, being convicted. Once you stress, understand that word, convicted this morning, because we're going to touch on it. Being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even until the youngest, the last. And Jesus was left alone. Just picture that. Everybody else is gone. Here's the woman. She was caught in adultery. There's no question about it. She didn't have to do that, even if they set her up. But she's caught in adultery. Everyone else has to go. She's all alone. (laughs) Can you picture being being caught and saying, you know know it's wrong, even though they're trying to condemn you. But everybody's gone, and you are literally there with Jesus Christ. What's he going to say? What will he say? And Jesus was left alone. And look what it says. And boy, I'll tell you, this was so a wonderful thing for me. And the woman standing in the midst. What a picture. She's standing. She's not falling on the ground. She's standing. You know why? Because it's Jesus alone facing her. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, woman, and listen. This is what makes the tone of the Koine Greek, the mood the tense the case when it talks to it. It was in the most gentle, loving, deeply loving, but deeply convicting tone. It was so beautiful when he said, woman, where are your accusers? Look at what it says. Has no man condemn you? Because who can and stand in his presence? Who can condemn you and I when we stand in his presence? Can our own sin? Can what someone else does to us or says to us? Has no man condemn you? She said, no man. Here's a beautiful word. Lord, master. You know, when he masters us, no legalism, no flesh can be involved. (laughs) That's what keeps us from experiencing his so great love, the conviction of his love. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn you. You don't have to ever go again in sin. You don't have to. Now, in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, and we've shared this before, it says, my little children, and what he's saying there with the Greek word, my children, is technia, and technia simply means, no matter what age you are, or how young you are, or how old you are in Christ, you're his child. <laughs> you're not gonna outgrow your dad. You'll never outgrow his love for us. We, you and I will never do so in Ephesians 3, verse 19, for all eternity too. Never and never going to outgrow it. So in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says, My little children, see that you sin not. And it's telling us we do not have to sin. It's a choice. God bringing this to me this morning, and I'm like, okay, okay. Oh, please, I don't want to make wrong choices anymore. I don't want to condemn anybody. I don't want to be self-condemned, and I don't want to make wrong choices. Please, Lord. Please. We don't have to sin. Okay? It's been robbed of its power. It has. It's been robbed. We do not have to do it. We choose to do it. We choose to. Still not condemned. My little children, see that you sin not, but if any of you sin, You know, we have an advocate. This woman had an advocate. You know, an advocate in a courtroom scene is the retaining lawyer who would stand on the right. Where is Jesus seated? The right side of the Father in heaven. He appears to us in the courtroom of God's justice as our retaining lawyer. The accusing lawyer, a prosecutor, would be on the left, accusing based upon evidence. (laughs) And then Christ stands up and he intercedes for us. No condemnation. None whatsoever. No condemnation in you at all. And so, we'll wrap it up and just get into a couple of words here. In John 16, in John 16, Jesus was talking about how he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. That's what he was telling that woman. When he could get rid of the accusers, the voices. And then he he could be all alone with her so he could tell her the truth that he is. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter. The holy spirit that we need on earth while he comforts us in heaven we have two comforters will not come unto you but if i depart i will send him unto you and when he has come he will what reprove the world of what sin of righteousness and of judgment of sin why because they believe not now when we live in sin do we believe when we stay there Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, this is for us, for, because the Prince of this world is judged. He's judged. Hmm. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Because he's got a lot to do in us to get the flesh out, honestly. He has so much to tell us. I believe with all my heart. He has so much to tell us here. The wonderful truth about who we are. Incredible. The increase that we already have in Christ. The increase doesn't increase. But as I decrease, I see more and more the increase above who I am. This is what he said. I have many... I have yet many things to say unto you. Oh, how I desire and we desire to have fellowship. But you can't just say them right now. But you cannot hear, you cannot bear them right now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself. But whatsoever he will hear, that will he speak and he will show you things to come. What is the Holy Spirit doing with us, comforting us? He is glorifying me. Where? In us. That's who we truly are, proper image. For he will receive of mine and will show it unto you, to reprove. We're going to see that, that word reprove upcoming, I believe, in in certain teachings that God has for us. But that word reprove, again, we see it here in John 16, verse 8. We can see it again in Ephesians 5, verse 11. And we can see it in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. It's the light that reproves us. In Ephesians 5.11, the charge that was given from Paul through Christ in him to Timothy, the charge was to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season. He said, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Because there's going to come a time when they won't, there could be a time when they will no longer hear and give their ears over to the itching of so many other things, even as Christians. And boy, don't we know them. We do. So that word, reprove, is elencho, and it's E-L-E-G-H-O, that word, reprove, elencho. And this is what it means. It means to confute, to admonish. That word in the Greek New Testament six times is is reprove. Five times it means to be, to rebuke. Did Jesus love Peter? Did he rebuke him? He did. Four times that word means to convince. One time in the original, and we'll bring all these out, it means to tell one's fault, not to condemn him, but to point it out, and to to convict. That's what that word, reprove, means. And this is what it means, to rebuke another, with the truth. Now you know, and I know, even practice, when I live in the darkness of the flesh, do I want anything to do with the light? No way. I tell you, that's about me. That's me, I'm telling you. I'm talking about me. There's no way. To rebuke another with the truth so that that person confesses, or at least is convicted of the sin. But the sad thing is, like those Pharisees that left, they could have stayed and got right, but they left. You know why? Listen, like so many unsaved, that's John 16, 8 to 11, and so many believers, that's us and Christ in John 16, 13 and 14, may be conv- may be convicted, but we may not be convinced. And that's a sad thing. That's very sad. Maybe. And that word reprove is very interesting. And I'm going to, I'll read some more scriptures to you, but this is what it means. Here we are. Started a little after 10th, not even quarter of yet. <laughs> Look at this. Here's Acts. I'm going to bring this out, the ninth chapter. Here's Acts, the ninth chapter, verse 1. And Saul, yet. Breathing out threatenings. Now, would would that be us on the flesh? (laughs) Could it be? We've said before, is the flesh that's in me that I'm not of, in Romans 8, 9, is it any different than the unsaved? Has the same source. Paul and Saul, the legalistic Pharisee, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest, desired of him letters, authority to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, long before they were called Christians, they were called of this way. Not till later on in Acts were they called Christians. Nowadays, how do we define who's a Christian? Wow. That were any of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound that's bondage, legalism, bondage, unto to Jerusalem. You know, some think they still have to go there to be blessed. Some people think that they have to go somewhere else to be blessed. Very sad. And as he journeyed, he came there to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. A light from heaven and he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He's, this is declaring he recognizes its deity. But wait till he hears the name. He recognizes its deity. And he said, well, who are you? Lord, you're a deity, who are you? And the Lord said, I am. God, you know I am, Exodus 3 verse 14, I am. I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the reproof, the ox goats. You don't like it, but it's love. You don't like it, and I don't like it in the flesh. When that ox goad curved on one end and pointed on the other, if it, it, when it pricks us, it's love saying this way, this way, not that way. And then we go, and the shepherd takes that, and he hooks them and trips them, and they fall down. Hopefully not to go any further. It's so hard for you and everybody else that you come in contact with to kick against the oxgoads, the reproofs, the rebukes. And he trembling and astonished said, look at what he said, Lord. This is bringing out crystal clear, based upon 1 Corinthians 12 and verse three, no one can say Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. In other words, instantly receive Christ as his savior, instantaneously, and the spirit came into him to bear witness. Lord, what will you have me to do? I went there. I was with those people. I have a heart here. I have a heart there. And being with them, these people. And I said, Lord, a lot of conviction. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And, And the Lord said unto him, what? Arise. You're no longer Saul, big in your own eyes. You're going to be little in me, but boy, arise. You have new life. Every time we hear the word, the ark's goad. It's it's because of who we are in him. Arise and go into the city and it will be told you what you should do. To rebuke to rebuke with the truth. Was the truth who Christ is in John 1, 14 and 17, 17 of John speaking to him? Yes. Not only to be convicted, but to give over the will and to be convinced. Not to resist. Not to resist. Because this is, listen to what it says. And we said this a little while ago, although convinced, although we may be Uh, Convicted, I should say. Has he gotten through? Has the light penetrated? And convinced us, or are we hard and pressing against it and withdrawing? Well, Job said in Job twenty-three and verse twelve. He said, "I have." Boy, I wish this is this is true for all of us, guys. It is. I have esteemed the word. More than my necessary food. Do you know what that's saying? More than any detail of life. More than any of plans. More than anything. It's his word. And by the way, in Hebrews 10, I mean in Romans 10, 13 to 17, it's the word is very near you. It's very near. It's not far away. Come on. It's not far away. It isn't. It's right there convicting us, and hopefully convincing us. He said, I esteem the word more than my necessary food. He also said to the Holy Spirit in Job 23, verse 14, he does the thing that he requires. He just requires obedience. All the results are his. And then he said in Job 23, verse 16, in the midst of his nine-month trial, he said, the Almighty, he troubles me. You may think it's someone else. And even if it's the wrong that someone does against you, God will use it to trouble you, to make your heart soft, so that the word, the light of it, the convicting power, will come in and be a convincing reality. And in Psalm 119, 105, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, my behavior, my thought life. My words, my actions, my deeds. And in Psalm 119, 130, the entrance. The entrance. And when the word that convicts has an entrance, it's a convincing power that we live in. But it's got to have an entrance, and that's why he troubles us. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the humble. Again, 119 or 130. As we wrap this up, you know, the whole world, the Bible's made this clear that every single human being that has can operate in a free will, those that are born with disabilities, they can't think properly and all that, they're not saved any more than a young child before they reach the age of accountability with the operation of a will, knowing good and evil. If they don't, they are not saved, but they're safe. They go instantly to heaven. So if you want to know what happens to all Those that have certain mental functions and little kids, you know, that happen, some of the things, they're instantly in his presence. They're safe. But to those of us that do have this ability, this free will to operate in and make proper decisions, it says this, that the whole world in that place is being convicted. But not all will be changed. God Almighty, not all will be changed. But you know what? In John 9, verse 16, you know what they did, the religious crowd? They tried to convict Christ of sin. It's the only thing you can do, and the only thing I can do when we live in the flesh, when we live in known areas of disobedience, we will accuse others. We will. We will accuse others. But all we're doing is accusing Christ in them and them in Christ. Not very good. Well, but did any convince him in John 8, 46 of sin? Of course not. Has anyone ever convinced you that you are your sin? That you are your sin in Romans 7, 17 and 20? No, we're not our sin. Convince them of sin. Transgressors of the law. You'll see it as we close again in John 8, verse 9. James 2, verse 9. To convince... And here, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 24, this is for the unbeliever. Now, I am a believer in Christ in terms of my position in him, but can I function as an unbeliever? Can I? I can. And you can. For the unbeliever is there viewed as being reproved or convicted of his or her sinful condition that they're living in. And if I live in a sinful condition and my position is in Christ, is there condemnation or accusation? No. But is there to be conviction constantly? Can there even be growth without it? But are we convinced? Are we convinced? Well, there's so much more here to get into, but we're right about at the time. I don't want to wear anybody out. And I mean that too. I'm not being unkind. I don't mean it to be unkind at all. But the fact of the matter is there's so much in here. There's so much in the love of God. And I tell you what, I don't want to be one of those where he had to say, there's so much in John 16, you know, verse 12, there's so much that he wanted to say, but they couldn't bear it just yet. The only place that you and I cannot bear the convicting, convincing truth is when you and I live in the flesh. But yet, he tells us to come right as we are. Because not until I come into the light, the true character of who I am in Christ in 1 John 1, nine, can I even confess in 1 John 1, 1.9, 1 John 1, seven true character. Until I come to the light, I don't even know the area that I'm functioning in, that I need to even confess that I'm not in 1 John 1, 9. Because it's the light. Many such things he has for us. But he's getting us ready to be able to bear them. But to bear them, take them successfully, because we are a success in Christ, by the way. Did you know that? Who's more successful than Christ? Who's more, as an individual, more successful than the one who's in him? God, it takes so much convincing. You know, convicting and then convincing. Thank you, Lord, this morning as we wrap this up about this little word, reprove, here, and just barely again just touching it. No wonder you said in Psalm 36, verse 9, with you, O God... You alone, and that woman was left all alone. And remember this now, and I need to remember this with you as we all do. We never as Christians in Christ have to be lonely, but it's good to be alone. and Because when we're alone with him, the Holy Spirit will lift him up in our presence. First lift him up to get our view focused, to see him and who he is, and then to see ourselves in him and to see him properly, to know Christ properly, is to know him in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, and then to know who I am in him. And it's good to be alone, because when I'm alone with him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word, through the light of the word, through the preaching and teaching, he will show us what we're functioning in, in areas of the flesh that we're not. so that we can function properly in who we are in him. And Father, thank you in Psalm 36, verse 9, with you, O God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we will see light. In Jesus' name,
0: amen.